Welcome back, everyone. And let's just take a moment to land back together after your break and sort of collect and come back into community. And as we're collecting before we start with again a split Dharma talk with Jeannie. But as you're sensing sitting here, I want you to feel as you come back into the group the, the generosity of practicing together. Jeannie brought it in this morning, but I'd like you to reconnect. It was it's interesting how many people. Um, you know, being here in the group is such a support for practice. And that's possible because each of us is here. So there's just your showing up here is an act of generosity. And I invite you to just take that in for a moment and feel how in showing up, you, your your practice is a gift to everyone else. Not later, not the effect of it, not what you get out of it, but just in this moment showing up. That that's enough. Isn't there something quite wonderful about that? Recognizing that just showing up is an act of generosity. And it doesn't just apply here. One of the most generous things we can offer to anyone is our sincere presence. As we sit here together, I can feel the warmth in my own heart. I can feel, oh, right. That's what I, as a teacher, offer, right? And that's what you, as a participant, offer, our sincere presence.
So I want to talk some more about generosity and expanding very much. Jeannie did a beautiful introduction this morning, really setting up this liberated um, aspect, foundational to generosity, and this non-clinging that is at the core of it. And I think it's kind of fun to think the Buddha talked about why be generous. And he said they're sort of from the lowest level of generosity to the highest. And he says, you know, the lowest level is like we're generous out of obligation or out of fear that we need to or we'll get in trouble or it won't be okay. And then he said a little bit higher up is uh, generosity out of tradition. It's like, oh, this is what is done, you know, okay. They, you know, I think one of the places that if you grew up in a church religious thing and the basket was passed, it was like tradition. You put something in the basket or maybe your a parent taught you that when somebody's sick, you bring food and you could just do that out of tradition, that that's just what one does. And also, and it's done kind of automatically without, without really connecting with the act. And then there's doing something to get something in return. And it's interesting, the Buddha actually puts that higher on the hierarchy than tradition, because if you do something to try to get something in return, you're at least now engaged in a kind of relational act. There's a reciprocation. You're giving something because there's some sort of contact wanting to be made. And then another step higher up or sort of more uh, wholesome might be the right word is you give something because it delights you. The act of the giving, like there's that fun moment of offering something and they go, oh, thank you. That's so cool. I really appreciate that. And it's just delightful. But then he says the highest reason to give is to adorn the heart, to make the heart and mind beautiful. Isn't that interesting? To make the heart and mind beautiful. Can you feel how this relates directly to what Jeannie was bringing in about non-clinging? That the heart free of clinging is a beautiful heart. And I want to read you a, I'm hoping to read you a quote. Nope, not going to. It's on a piece of paper in a different room, I guess. I'm going to, I'm going to read you, I'm going to paraphrase Gil Fronsdale's definition of generosity, which is to give more or in addition to what is expected, what is, uh, and what is expected for the situation, for your station of life, for your activity. So 
the point being that it's actually to go above and beyond that when we just do what is exactly expected that 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 might be a good thing to do but that's not the generosity generosity is when we feel ourselves go a little bit more and that letting go that that opening of the hand and what's most important there and i want to emphasize this aspect that genie brought in is that the contraction of self the selfing story of i me and mine in that moment of opening our hand gets relaxed or at least temporarily challenged it doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves include ourselves in the generosity it's one of the things that as we as the self becomes more permeable as we we sometimes get afraid does that mean i become a martyr in this it, no it's that the self and the other and the whole all get taken into consideration and all of them are the recipients of the generosity but most fundamental in this is this way that the giver when we give something we get freed we experience that moment when the greed aversion and delusion have fallen away very very important um and as Jeannie brought in this morning, this is actually just an acknowledgement. Excuse the paper sound. Acknowledgement and participation in what is already true. This is from Andrew Olensky. He says, in a profoundly interdependent world, generosity is fundamental to the future economy of life. Even the simplest biological function involves receiving something from others, nutrient, oxygen, life, processing it in some unique way, and then passing it on to all other members of the matrix of life. We all do this whether or not we are aware of it. The practice of giving becomes perfected when we align ourselves very deeply with this truth. This line is very important. The practice of giving becomes perfected when we align ourselves very deeply with this truth by consciously and mindfully offering everything we do or say even everything we think as an act of universal generosity so poignant because he's pointing to this can you feel how in this the non-separation, the acknowledgement that everything we do is an offering into the world. That what we do, whether we're conscious or not, is being offered into the world. And to align ourselves with that understanding is to become an active participant in this reciprocity. 
And when we become an active participant in the reciprocity, we automatically become more mm, careful, more concerned and intentional about what we offer. What do you want to offer into the world? What do you want to offer? And can we offer the openness of our heart to relinquish the separation and make ourselves available? free ourselves of the stinginess of holding on to the good stuff and trying to get rid of the bad stuff. Do you know how that is? Sometimes like we want to hang on to the good feeling and blame somebody else for the bad feeling. Or hang on to the things that are extra precious and ah, this is extra, get rid of it. What if instead we realized that when we offer the good, whether it's a thing or our energy, that it goes out into the world and that is who we truly are. What we offer is what we are, not what we keep, because what we hang on to, we're isolating into the superficial sense of self. What we offer is this expression of our, of our deepest being, our permeability, our participation, our connection in the world. That's who we are. And as we do that, each time that relinquishment is this act of freedom, freedom from I, me, and mine. This is the foundational point of freedom from of the buddha's teaching that the isolation of self and the belief in self is the creation of suffering and every time we let go of it and i'm sure you're feeling this deeply reciprocal and very vulnerable position that it puts us in just think about when you do something that's just a generosity of offering somebody uh, an appreciation or inviting someone to dinner or asking them if you can to do something for them. Can you feel how each time you do that, there's a certain vulnerability? That that's part of why sometimes we hold back. There was um, uh, a Sangha that I led here for a long time. And somebody shared at some point when we were talking about generosity, they said they kept wanting to bring cookies to the Sangha, but they got worried because they weren't sure that they were kind of cookies people would like. And what if people couldn't eat gluten? And what if somebody couldn't eat dairy? And what if they didn't bring enough? And it was like, oh, of course, the vulnerability of offering something and feeling like somehow it's not enough or it's not okay. 
because and when that's there, we realize, oh, there's a certain way I'm hanging on. I haven't yet fully offered something. I really learned a lot about this um, through my connection with Bhutan, where I've been quite a few times. And there, it's so clear that when you give something, it's for the benefit of the giver. It's not for the benefit of the receiver. And so like when I would go there, I would bring um, gifts sometimes from this country and I'd try to figure and I'd give them to them and it would be very much like, oh, okay, set that, you can put that over there or, oh, okay, you know, there was absolutely no fuss, barely a thank you. But it's the most generous culture I've ever had any contact with. Everybody is constantly giving things. But the understanding that it's about you giving it, not about somebody giving you accolades for having done it. They're simply making themselves available to receive it. Oh, yeah, great. Thanks. I can use that. You know, isn't that interesting? There's a uh, This is from the Buddha. And what is the treasure of generosity? There is the case of a disciple of the noble ones whose awareness cleansed of the stain of stinginess, living at home, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in being magnanimous, response to requests, delighting in the distribution of alms, this is called the treasure of generosity. And very interesting, the Buddha goes on in another sutta to talk about how if you're not having good concentration, if you're not able to, what, what might be holding you back in your practice? And he's talking here specifically about what is it? Why aren't you realizing the fruit of stream entry? Why aren't you entering into jhanas? And he says, there's five things that will keep you from being able to have a heart that is free and able to enter into these um, deeper realizations. Stinginess at one's home. Stinginess with one at one's lodgings stinginess with one's family or supporters, stinginess as to one's gains, stinginess as to one's status, and ingratitude. Isn't that interesting? He basically says, if your meditation's not going well, look to where your generosity is not supporting you. And What's the correlation he's making here? It's exactly the one that I've talked about, that if we're centralized onto I, me, and mine, that we're in a state of clinging, 
that there isn't enough opening, relinquishment, softness in our system to let in the teachings and to practice the teachings. In our culture, we're so defined by our possessions, by what we have and what we call ours in the, the physical world that you know, we, it's so helpful to practice letting go of things. And we're so defined by time and where we spend our time, that giving away time. All of you have heard that thing that like, if you, if you, want, um, if you want to get something done, ask somebody who has no time because they've already given it all away and they'll find more. If you, you know, if you want something, talk to the person who's already given everything away. You know, I mean, they, the relationship they say of the percentage of wealth given away, like on an annual basis for people with very low incomes is so much higher than people with high incomes. And I love looking into that and feeling like, okay, maybe there's something about the more, the less we have, the more we have some understanding that we're going to be okay, that we already are okay, that there's other things that hold us up rather than collecting around ourselves. And when we give something away, when we open our heart, we're actually giving away a part of ourselves. And that's part of why we resist it, right? Ah, part of me is going to be gone. I'm going to give this away. And then I'm like, I somehow will be diminished. Can you feel that sometimes? But actually, you notice that there's this temporary state of freedom, of openness, letting it go. This is from Reggie Ray. He says, through the practice of generosity, we relinquish on ever deeper levels the personal territory of the self, allowing the Buddha nature within us to progressively emerge. We relinquish on ever deeper levels the personal territory of the self. And in doing this again and again, we're valuing and practicing connection and freedom over mine, over the value of mine. The Buddha, of course, said, if you knew the power of giving as I do, you wouldn't let a single meal go by without sharing. I've tried to take up myself the, the um, practice I learned at Bhutan at the beginning of every meal, taking the most precious morsels of the meal and pulling them aside, just a small amount, and setting them aside and offering them. And what are you offering to them? To everything, to anything, to wherever it's needed. And the tradition is you just take it outside and offer it into the, the greater world. There's something quite beautiful about just stopping long enough to do that, taking that moment.
so many things I want to say, but I'm almost done. I, my time is up. I want to come back to and say just a couple more things about the um, this interdependence, because that's really for me where I'm constantly drawing and using as my model the naturally interdependent and generous nature of everything that's flowing around us. And this is from Robert Adkin Roshi. Dana is the practice of Pratiya Samut, Samutpada, mutually dependent arising. Everything is contingent upon everything else. Plants transpire, the moisture evaporates and returns as the rain, the earth is dampened, allowing rootlets to absorb nutrients in the soil. The nutrients release themselves. People, animals, and other plants flourish and give themselves in turn. The Buddha suggested that human beings can get along best by following this natural way of things. Giving creates happiness, greed creates misery. And the last piece, significant piece I want to add in here is dana is the act of giving and the thing that you might give. But what's being pointed to here has a different word in Pali. It's called kaga. And it's the heart that is, it's that mood, it's that releasing. So it's not the thing. It's the kaga, the opening of the heart that is the most important piece, the thinginess of it. It's there, it's a participant. There's a Chinese Zen story that I like that it's like, what is the great embodiment of compassion, of generosity? What's the, how does that express itself? And the answer is, it is like simply taking your hand at night to rearrange your pillow. That it's that unselfconscious and non-fussing, that the world and us, we rearrange the pillow of the world. It's that, um, that the potential for whatever we offer to be simply that open. And sometimes you can feel that, right? You do something and somebody says, oh, thank you so much. And it's almost like, but I, I didn't even notice I did that. It just felt instinctive. It felt completely natural. And when we're in that place, we realize there's no giver there's no gift and there's no receiver. The separation and isolation of self has completely fallen away. And we're just a participant in the world. So I'll read you a poem from Rumi called In Every Breath. In every breath, if you're the center of your own desires, you'll lose the grace of your beloved. But if in every breath you blow away your self-claim, the ecstasy of love will soon arrive. 
In every breath, if you're the center of your own thoughts, the sadness of autumn will fall on you. But if in every breath you strip naked, just like a winter, the joy of spring will grow from within. All your impatience comes from the push for gain of patience. Let go of the effort and peace will arrive. All your unfulfilled desires are from your greed for gain of fulfillments. Let go of them all and they will be sent as gifts. Fall in love with the agony of love, not the ecstasy. Then the beloved will fall in love with you. Thank you all. And I'd love to pass it off now to Jeannie to continue. Friends, let's take a minute and just let that settle. Oh, Rich, Susie, thank you so much. Mm. It's so beautiful. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm feasting on Bernard Kelbo chocolates. <laughs> Homemade chocolates up here. <laughs> oh, thank you, Susie. Well, friends, I'm going to just offer just a few reflections more on the generosity as liberation. This release of, you know, this non-clinging of generosity and how it supports liberation in the heart. And I want to read a story of, of a, a lay woman named Visaka who practiced great generosity. And this is from the Vinaya, which is a collection of teachings. It says, once Visaka gave a learned explanation of the benefits she expected from her munificence when the Buddha questioned her as to what she saw as the advantages of her great generosity. She said that when she hears that a particular monk or nun has attained any of the fruits of reclusion, and if that monk or nun has visited Savati, she would be certain that they had partaken of the offerings that she constantly makes. 
when she reflects that she has contributed in some measure to their spiritual growth, great delight arises in her. Joy arises in the mind that is delighted. When the mind is joyful, the body relaxes. When the body relaxes, a sense of ease or sukha is experienced, which helps the mind to be concentrated. That will help the development of a lot of things, the spiritual faculties, the spiritual powers, and the factors of awakening. These are the advantages she hopes for by her generosity. The Buddha was so pleased with her reply that he exclaimed, Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Well said, well said, well said. And this, I want to say this map or this process that Visaka described, the process of generosity, which leads to joy, which calms the mind and helps the mind then to be liberated. This process is described in many, many places in the suttas. They, many of these maps have these three parts. First of all, the first part is something leads to joy. And in the case of Visaka, that is generosity. So something leads to joy and joy calms the mind. And the calm mind, the deeply, the, the concentrated mind, the equanimous mind then can let go more easily. There is one map that describes this, one of the shorter maps called the seven factors of awakening. And the first three of these factors are mindfulness, inquiry, or the first two are mindfulness and inquiry. And so we can bring mindfulness and inquiry to anything that can give rise to joy, but in our case, we can bring it to generosity. As we bring our mindfulness and inquiry to generosity, feeling what it is, and this can give a rise to a bit of energy. And this energy brings us to joy in the seven factors. So this inquiry brings curiosity about what's happening, engagement in generosity and a joy. It just rises naturally. And this joy then in the seven factors, the next factor is calm concentration, equanimity. And the equanimous mind is then more able to let go. And I wanna read um, from the Buddha about how this is a process that just kind of happens on its own. We don't have to do much except tune into generosity and the joy it brings. And then this process can happen on its own in an instant. 
we can feel it in an instant. So here's the Buddha saying, just as practitioners in a peaked house, all rafters whatsoever go together at the peak, slope to the peak, join in the peak, and of them all the peak is reckoned chief. Even so, practitioners, those who cultivate and make much of the seven factors of wisdom, slope to nibbana, incline to nibbana, tend to nibbana. And so this is a natural process that happens when we tune in to generosity and joy. The best way that I think of this is, I don't know if you've ever watched otters playing, but otters, I, I, once, I once watched a whole bunch of otters. I was in a canoe on the lake and I had seen up ahead this big, big hill. And I thought we thought, oh, let's go to that big hill. We'll have a picnic on top of that hill. So we paddled over to the hill. Well, wouldn't you know it that that big hill, and you can know this about just about any big hill on a lake, is a, an otter slide. You could see there was a slide, uh, a spot where the, the, there was a pathway down the hill. And as we sat there, we, we saw that otters were sliding down the hill into the lake. And this is what, and they were snorting and having fun and just, and this for me is what the map of joy and liberation is, is like, can be like. Once you get on it, once you tune into generosity and the joy that can come with that, there's nothing else you need to do. You're going to end up in that lake. You're going to slide down that hill. And, and, and we all know this teaching. You know this teaching. Think of a time, as Susie said, that you felt that, just that movement of the heart in something that you were offering. You had the means to offer it. You offered it freely to someone who needed something, maybe. You know, I have friends who bring cookies to me. I finally caught on. It's good to give cookies. <laughs> How does it feel to make the cookie and give it? You know they're going to love it. There's no string attached. You give that cookie and you can take such joy, right? In imagining them eating that cookie. It's, it doesn't have to be complicated. You can think of times you've offered something and received and felt that sense in the heart. You didn't have to do anything. It just happened. We can tune in that way. Of course, there are times that it doesn't happen so easily. Anybody else relate to that? <laughs> and I've realized I really haven't been enjoying what Susie said yesterday about how we meet the moment. Do we meet the moment in a transactional way or a generous way? Do I meet the moment expecting something from it? Or do I meet the moment with a generous heart, receiving it as it is? And I, I have a story about that. Once I was on retreat and I was leaving the retreat 
Uh, it was in a, and it was in a beautiful forest. And on the morning I was leaving the retreat, I was looking around the forest and I was thinking about how a beautiful time I'd had there. And I realized I started to get agitated and started to get really anxious. And I checked in and I thought, what's happening? And I realized now with this language that I was looking around at the forest in a transactional way. I wanted to drink it in and take it with me. I was grasping. And I asked myself in that moment, oh, I said, I'm grasping. And then I said, is it okay that I'm grasping? And my heart melted and it said, of course, it's all right, sweetheart. I understand why you would want to take this home. But in that moment, I met the grasping, the transactional piece with generosity. It's okay, honey. There's grasping here or there's aversion here. It's okay. And so even if grasping is here, we can kind of wrap the grasping in non-grasping. Do you know what I mean? And in that, in wrapping whatever's here, this struggle, this, you know, this inability to be generous, if we can wrap it in generosity, this wrapping is like our, you know, it's our trump card. We wrap it. And then what, what we're doing is we're abiding in generosity. And I like that because it's kind of my, my way of knowing that it's all right. Whatever's here, even if it's a grasping heart, I can hold it with generosity. And that transforms the whole thing. I often think of grasping as a porcupine. It's kind of prickly. And if I can wrap the porcupine in a soft blanket, I can hold that porcupine. No problem. <laughs> Much more easily, at least. So the power of generosity to offer to this moment. I always remember Elder Ramona Peters saying that we offer to this moment, she's an elder in the Wapanoag uh, band in Massachusetts. And the teaching she gave me was that we offer this moment a medicine bundle. What medicine bundle? Can you offer this moment? And we have generosity and gratitude in our medicine bundle. I want to close with one more poem. And this is again, I, I I don't know why, but I'm just with Rosemary this weekend. <laughs> and this poem seems to me to speak to gratitude and generosity and all what we've talked about this weekend, that gratitude and generosity can grow even in the difficult times, that it's a natural capacity of our heart. And so this poem is called Out of Season. Autumn is, perhaps, befitting for heartache. Everywhere you look, loss. 
loss of leaves, loss of color, loss of warmth, loss of light. If you are grieving, the barren world seems to mirror what's happening inside you. Everything seems to say, see, you can't hold on. So how to explain this explosion of beauty, this unexpected spring of grace? How to explain the way generosity pushes through what's dead, like apple trees in first pink, how gratitude flourishes, enormous invisible blooms, and though you can't see them everywhere, everywhere in this heart of autumn, you smell the insistent green of springtide, the astonishing perfume of love. Let's just sit for a minute together. Friends, we have time now for one more walking period, and then we'll come back together. And we'll come back together for another sit. And so I want to invite you to walk in this amazing perfume of love as best you can. And I send you off with a quote from Robin Wall Kimmerer, the Anishinaabe teacher and scientist, who tells us that connecting to this wellspring of connection and generosity is really the heart of our practice. And it's not hard. She says simply this. She says paying attention is a form of reciprocity with the living world. Receiving the gifts with open eyes and open heart. So just our attention is entering, is the doorway to enter this world of reciprocity and gift. And so on your walk, simply pay attention to what's there, pay attention to this reciprocity that we're in, this giving and receiving of gratitude and generosity, giving and receiving with the heart. Enjoy your walk. See you in 25 minutes.